It seems that over the past uh, week, the, the Spirit has been uh, bringing us words of instruction uh, along a particular line of thought, and that is instruction in how to safeguard ourselves in the, the times in which we're living um, in the way we think and how we uh, pursue our walk in God. And in fact, in fact, our first Saturday directive was that God, during this year of grace, would keep us from the, uh, the, the error of missing the mark that would abound. You know, the Bible says where sin abounds, missing the mark abounds, you will find grace more abounding. And often we, we rejoice over that more abounding grace without thinking, you got to watch. It's kind of like saying, you know, there's a whole field full of roses out there. Just go and pick all that you want. And, but there's a warning that there are some thorns on those bushes. You just start going, grabbing handfuls of roses, you're going you're gonna to shout some things that probably aren't godly. Uh, well, some of you wouldn't. But at the very least, you'd say, ouch. So um, as I was praying about what we were to share today, three, three different thoughts prominently were coming to me. One of them was about that, that platform, uh, that firmament of sapphire color at the throne. I talked about that earlier. The other one was about, um, from the book of Habakkuk, that speaks about us uh, being revived in the middle place. And uh, I almost preached that. In fact, I had an outline ready for that. And I, I do think that there's a word for us as we're pursuing grace that we very much are in, we're in the middle. We're in that sila. And we, we've talked about a few weeks ago about how very often honor uh, and the promise of honor is in that middle place where who you are is being tested and you are standing your ground and you're pursuing on behalf of the purpose of God. And Habakkuk the seer uh, was, who also was the only other book that wrote about the Selah, uh, he was saying that we needed to gain a measure of, of, of reviving um, in the midst of that middle and I'm so thankful that in the seal of place, Christ is in the midst. He stands in the middle with us because he's there knowing what we faced and what we're facing. And he's continually praying that the will of God will be fulfilled. If he's standing in the midst, that means he's in that middle place with us. And it'd be one thing if the Lord was praying for us to fulfill the, fulfill the will of God at the beginning of the thing where you know, will you accept this mission? I'm, I'm sure that he's with us there as the Spirit is trying to guide us into that truth. And as the Father is trying to see, will you take this extended hand? But I'm thankful that it says Jesus is in the middle. He's standing with us in Ontario. He is praying that we will stand fast and move forward, that we'll move forward into the fulfillment. So Habakkuk says, revive this in the midst of the years revive it. And that, that term, racham, is, is a word that means that you will be uh, strengthened and that you'll have a supply concerning what you need. 
And um, that, that phrase, is, that term is used in the Valley of the Dry Bones where it, it speaks about can these bones come into a point of life. And it's not like you've given up or you've abandoned God and you need revival like the old-time American idea of having a revival every, every summer so that the people can get, get back to God. It's for those that are standing in the middle of the fight who are holding on to what God has promised and they need that burst, that miraculous burst, that what they're believing for in the point of, of their weakness can receive the resuscitation and the vitality of what God wants. So I was thinking both of those two things, and I believe they're words of the Lord for us. We're, we're praying, and I'm praying that over you, and I'm asking that God would interject that into our lives. But this is the thing that the third one that God just said, no, you need to go here. And, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're coming to the end of Paul's point of ministry, and he's recognizing that whatever input he's going to give to his young, um, his young disciple, his young pastor Timothy, his input is coming to an end. And so Paul is kind of summing up what Timothy needs to do to keep moving forward and to survive as a prototype pastor in that early church. And so 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. God's going to judge. That's interesting. I thought God was love. But anyway, that's another thing. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Watch, be, But thou watch in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of your ministry. Paul is not really holding anything back here, as he not only warns Timothy, he instructs him, and he gives him a charge. And that begins right there at the beginning. I charge you, therefore, before God. That term is a, a, a development of the word that's translated as testimony or as martyrio. And Paul is saying, look, you've, you've got to continue to embrace what you represent in God, what you have died for. You know, the, the term testimony in, in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Testimony there and throughout the New Testament all has to do not that you're just saying something, you're holding up your hand and testifying, or you're giving a testimony in court. It, it is from the word martyr. And it means that what you are, what your testimony is, is indicative of what you've given yourself for. God expects us not to just try things out, but to die for what he is giving us. Uh, dying is what a seed has to do before life comes. Jesus spoke about that. And uh, we've, we've got to give ourselves to God in our testimony in order for his life to come. So Paul is saying, look, 
in order for you to make it through the things that I'm going to talk to you about, you've got to remember that you're dying on behalf of the mission of God so that his life might come. Paul said he died daily. And it's not that we walk around moping or, you know, saying, oh, you know, I don't have any life. I don't have any good things. Why can't I have nice things? You know, it's not that we do that. Nobody likes to be around that. But it, it's something that, well, maybe some people do. But I've known some people like that. But it, it's that we say when we face whatever we face before God, we're saying, let your will be done. And I'm dying to self so that that can be. I'm embracing you so that your life can come. And I'm dying to the flesh. And whenever we face opposition, that's what we must say. The Apostle Paul said, I glory in the places where I feel weak, that your glory and your strength might be known. And so Paul starts this whole discussion off with that. It sounds greater to say, I charge you. You know, it's like you're standing at some district council and they're laying hands on your head and speaking real loud in diverse tongues or unknown tongues. Well, it's probably unknown tongues there. But um, and it's not that, you know, I'm going to christen you and send you off. This is Paul saying to Timothy in a word that he fully understood, I'm going to tell you how you're going to survive, and it's going to begin by you remaining focused on what God's called you to be, and that involves you giving your life for it. So he comes down through, and there are three sections of what he's warning Timothy and, and really encouraging him how to accomplish that charging. The first is, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, and reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What does that mean? Well, the three safeguards, first of all, preach the word. Herald the logos. Stay focused on God's eternal will, what he's wanting to do. And everything that we are as Christians, as saints, flows in that way. We are linked inextricably to what God's will is from his throne. And that's an eternal will. That's the logos. The logos is God's eternal word, his, his eternal mission divested to us. The rhema is something that is powerful. It comes from the scripture, but it's a burst from the spirit that encourages us. It's, it's kind of like a word that, that addresses the moment, and it gives us strength to overcome. And, but the logos is that enduring and endearing eternal understanding. So preach that. Be instant in season and out of season. I'm not going to take a long time talking about this because I've given you the words themselves that we've studied. Sometimes in season is that from your place of assignment, there is going, it's going to seem like heaven has come down and his eternal will and presence is just so rich and so strong and there's a snapping of Kairos words that are coming and my goodness, can it get any better than that? But then there are times that are out of season. Ah, kairos is what the word is. You're going to wonder, Father, 
hey, what last week was just so dynamic. What's happening now? You know, what, what is this? I'm not getting any Kairos word right now. And I often say, well, how many Kairos words do you need anyway? How many prophetic nudges in the back do you need? At some point, if you keep watering a plant every day and giving it food every day, read some of the notes that Debbie Kay has put on our plants around here. If everybody that walks by think, hey, I think it can use some more water, pretty soon that thing is just droop city and it's gone. You see, if a plant doesn't have the opportunity to let its roots start growing, searching for where the next water is, it's not going to grow very much and it's going to die. So we have to be in season and out of season in our pursuit of the Logos. And uh, sometimes those out of seasons, ah, Kairos, don't feel very good. But it's at that point you've got to reach back into what God has set you in motion to know in Him and um, know that He's with you. That's a really powerful word that Paul gives Timothy. And it's a powerful word for us. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What does that mean? Yeah, you, can, you should do this in the things that you observe in exterior circumstances, but we should do this in our own life. Every day, probably. Reprove. We need to ask God like David did. Search me, O God, and try my ways. See if there's any wicked way in me. And when you reprove, you are saying, not that you're condemning yourself, but you're saying, Lord, if there's something in me that is not, is not really what it should be, don't let me just stumble around with it that way. Show it to me so that I can get rid of it. You know, in the natural, that's one of the nice things about having granddaughters, young granddaughters, because they will let you know everything about your face that is not right. No, they're just sweet. They just do that. They'll talk about wrinkles. They'll talk about spider webs in your nose. They'll talk about spider webs in your ears. <laughs> They'll try to help you out. They'll tell you if your teeth need you know, whitening toothpaste. They'll tell you, oh, it's just amazing. It's like going to a dermatologist, uh, somebody doing an autopsy, and, and uh, somebody giving you a, a palm reading all at the same time, you know? Maybe I should say a prophetic word. Um, but, you know, it's really helpful sometimes if somebody, somebody tells you something that you're not really aware is, is standing out about your appearance. <laughs> um, Sometimes they try to fix my hair in my office, and when I come back through, some kind souls say, you need to do something with your hair. They've, met, they've turned you into Albert Einstein in there. And uh, I'm thankful for, for that. Um, but, you know, you need to ask the Lord that if there's something that's going on in our lives that we may just not recognize but it's a glaring, out-of-place thing spiritually or, or, or even in the way we're thinking. It's not that you want somebody continually correcting you every moment, but you need to, to be willing to receive reproof from the Spirit and uh, from 
any voice that he would say, not again being critical or always trying to correct you, but from a, from a spiritual standpoint, that's valued. That is valued. Rebuke, this is from our word that we've studied about honor, epitimeo. And uh, we want to make sure that we are representing what God has given us to be. And if in some ways we're not, we need to have that measure of rebuke in our own heart from the Spirit, but certainly from one of our righteous armor on the right and the left that says, hey, you know what, you're really not representing what God has given you to be. And exhort, parakaleo, this is a familiar word in the New Testament. This is that word that, that talks about the Spirit calling us to what we should be doing. And it's really uh, a word that would indicate, hey, get with it. Now get back in line. So you've got those three things. I think Paul puts those there as, as kind of a primer for us individually. That maybe we should ask God every day this in our lives. Father, if there's something in me that needs to be corrected, that, that is really making me not function right, uh, maybe is giving me a difficulty that I really don't need, let me know it. Reprove that. If there's some way that I'm not representing what you have enlisted to me in honor, show me that. And if there's some way that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, you know, you can be a person of honor and not show up for work. If there's something that I am not where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be, let me know that. Boy, those three things can keep us out of a lot of trouble and keep us moving forward. Now, for some people, they think, well, I don't have any faults. I have no idea what honor means. And, um, you know, I'm just going to come see, come saw. Whatever is going to be is going to be. And you, you, these words might as well be pig Latin backwards for you. But these are the words that are given to this young pastor and for anyone that wants to thrive in ministry before the Lord, we've got to do them. And so the last part of this three is with all long-suffering and doctrine. Doctrine there is didache. And this is the accumulated teaching that's been given to you. And uh, you need to apply that and continue to trust it and continue to learn and grow and develop. Macrothemia, that you are investing the, the passion and the fire of your life toward the application of what God has built up in you. I mean, sometimes I, um, I wonder about uh, how people can so quickly abandon what they know God has given them from the Word. I, I, some, I see that over the years. And I don't understand it. I, under, I, under, I understand the tactic of the enemy. I understand that what he wants to first do is to, to, to strip you of what the Spirit has equipped you. A stripping of the equipping. That's another one. Remind Denise about that one. A stripping of the equipping. And, you know, 
one of the things we learned when we were still learning about democracy and capitalism in a positive way in school was that when the communists first come into a country, there's two things they first want to eliminate. Number one, teachers. And number two, religious leaders. They want to get rid of them, and they'll, they'll go out, round them up, and kill them. And that's what any kind of communistic invasion will do, first of all. Now, of course, they overwhelm militarily uh, if they can, um, but sometimes they don't even have to, to, uh, to overwhelm militarily. If they can get that mindset in everywhere, you know, Lenin, and he talked about religion being the opiate of the people, and, you know, if they can, Marx spoke about that. If they can, if they can infiltrate a society to question the teachings and to question religion, that's the, that's the soil in which a communistic overthrow can happen. We see that a lot in our country today. But that's what happens in the spirit realm because it's really a demonic tactic. Now, God's tactic is you need to come and know me and you need to learn of me. Those two things God wants to develop. The devil wants you to say there is no God or there are many gods or, you know, just hang loose and blow with any wind of doctrine and forget about everything you've learned in God. That's, those are the tactics of takeover. And that's what Paul is hitting here. You keep pressing firmly and strongly with the fire within you after what God has given you to be, Macuthemi, that, 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 that long-suffering and you remember, you recall what God has taught you. Don't abandon it. I remember there were probably, I don't remember how many years ago, eight or nine years ago, there was a church that had come alongside the Saints Network, wonderful people. We sowed into them gladly. And they were establishing. And then some terrible things happened within the church. People were uh, rising up and rebelling and causing difficulty and Finally, the pastor and his wife, uh, regardless of what everyone had tried to help, said, we're just dissolving this place. And they went and went back into a general format that they had been in before. And some of the people that were with them said, well, what do we do about the pneumonicos principles we learned from the Word? And they were all told, well, you've got to forget about all that. And I thought, how can you forget? what God's Spirit has shown you in His Word. How can you abandon that? How can you reject that? Well, I want to tell you, it's very easy to do it. If you say to the enemy who wants you to forget it, help me. Now, Paul says these things here in this first triumvirate of warnings to Timothy. Not just warnings, but encouragements. This first segment is all about, the first thing is, preach the Word. Herald the Logos. You are a person of eternity. You are partnering with God to accomplish something concerning His will. Know the moments and know when the moment, whether the moments are, are just filled or whether the moments are trying to cause your roots to spread. Um, look to God to show you if you're missing something. From, if there's something that you are, you're doing that is tripping you up, Look to God if there's some way you're not representing the honor of serving Him. And look to God if there is some way that you're not where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be. And then 
Make sure you guard over with everything you are where God has brought you and what he has taught you. Boy, I'm doing a lot of rhymes today. Let's be the, the anointing rhyme is up here today. We have to line people up and lay hands on them and give that the anointing rhyme, the rhyme anointing. What do you think, Sarah? Can we, I release the rhyme anointing to you back there. But it's true. And I, I, I sometimes hear things on, on uh, people apologizing for what, in some ways, what, what we have been blessed as a country to know, what we've been blessed to know. And I think, don't surrender that. First of all, that's a communist tactic. And, you know, the next thing that's going to happen is leaders <laughs> are going to start being lined up and killed. But anyway, be that as it may, this is as long as the day is long. And Paul gave that warning for us as Christians. So it's a, it's a governmental warning. It's a philosophy of government warning, but it's for us here, it is a spiritual warning. So we've got to hold on to that. Now, Paul continues. The time will come, but wait, that time seems to be here when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will be led by their own lust to heap teachers. They will turn away. Oh, wow. They will turn away from the truth. They won't endure. What, what does this mean? Um, the first thing is, the time will come when they will not endure. What is endure? An echo. Anna echo. That means what God has said from his throne, they are not going to hold themselves up against it anymore. And uh, remember the message that we were given by the Lord um, on Wednesday about prosecco and how that that is something that God wants us to prophetically continue to remember what he said to us and to, and to keep striving as the Spirit leads to discover what God wants to continue to show us from his throne. We studied about that, and that was something that kept us from false doctrine. Here, Paul is using that same, he was the one that wrote many of those verses under the anointing of the Spirit. Here he's saying that people will not hold themselves up against the echo of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Uh, we get our word hygiene from that first word, and didaskalia is, is that word that is an instruction from, a, from, a, from an appointed teacher, an instructor that has been commissioned for you. And there is such a thing as impure teaching. But there will come a time when those who, in this world, there will come a time, Paul says, he wrote a lot about the end times. We studied some of that this past week. But <clears throat> they, won't, they won't endure. They won't cause themselves to stand beside or with anymore the pure instruction from what God has been showing. I, you know, sometimes I think about, I read on bottles, something is pure. 99.9% .9 pure. You know, you know, sometimes I... I a couple times a week, I go down to Whole Foods and I refill my water bottles from the house. 
somebody in my house seems to drink a lot of that water. And, and I go there, and there are three options. One of them is that alkaline water, which they charge about $50 an ounce for. The other one is it removes most of the impurities. And they said it's most popular because it tastes better. And then there's the one that's almost like distilled. Well, I always get the distilled one because I think if I've come here to get water, I'm going to get pure water. I'm just going to get the purest water I can. Uh, who wants to drink water that's not pure? Anybody? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Well, most of it's water. You know, well, I don't know. You know, this morning, real early, I got up and I, I made some coffee in... Uh, in a machine that Ken and Ruby gave me. And uh, I went to the fridge, and there was uh, my, my normal sissy creamer was gone. It was Vamoose. You like sissy creamer in your coffee, Jose? Huh? You're not a sissy. You're a big, strong guy. But us old guys, like Scott and me, we drink sissy creamer. Now, he drinks much more than I do. I think Les just drinks it straight when he gets it. He wants that burst. He doesn't? No. <laughs> He's just smiling. She's saying, oh, no. <laughs> so anyway, I went to the fridge to see some of the elixirs that Katie has mixed in there. And I got this almond coconut stuff. And I thought, well, you know, I could just drink this black. But it's 4.30 in the morning, and I want to have a little pizzazz in my life. So I poured this in. And I stirred it, and I was walking toward the steps to go up to the happy place, and I took a sip, and there was a big lump of something in that coffee. And so I avoided the risk of going right there, not knowing what this, I was in the fridge, so I know it was okay. It was, it was a lump of something. And so I came over to the kitchen, and I just spewed it out. It wasn't lukewarm, but I spewed it out anyway. And I thought, that's a lump of this almond coconut goo. And it was not pure. So I spewed it out. Now, I could have been like some and say, well, well the rest of it's coffee. Coffee's coffee. But I thought, I don't want any of that mess. You know, I was a reading, reading a book this past week. And I was reading through it, and I thought, well, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah, that really touches the heart. And then all of a sudden, and I thought, Ma, you butter me up with those two paragraphs. This thing is just, I don't know if it's from the pit of hell, but it's a heretical lie right there. And I thought, why am I reading this thing? It's silly with stuff that's not hygiene. But there are some truths there, but I don't want to have that that's mixed. And you know what? Paul says here, there will be a time when people won't want to hold on to what's come from the throne, and they aren't going to just stick to the pure expression that the spirit of truth will bring. We're in that day right now. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you watch out for this, and if you're watching out for it, the place to start is in your own life. They will be led by their own lusts to heap up. Boy, that's a strange. They will heap to themselves teachers. You know, heap there, that's a good old, that's a good old Texas word. We're in a heap of trouble. You know, <laughs> we got a heap of money over there, cash on the barrel head. Um, heap means 
to pile something up. And it is used in some connotations in, in the original realm where this language was used to talk about things that not only were a pile, but things that you could hide behind. And so those two things were used. And, and if, you, if you're heaping up teachers, other instructors, it could be that you're just gathering things that you don't really need to, you know, have. Uh, or it could be that you're, there's something that's hidden there. Um, but be that as it may, that's what Paul warns about. You don't want to be a hoarder of other teachings. Um, You've got to be sure that you're scanning and watching for hygiene in the midst of the instruction you're receiving. Um, we talked about being branded, having your conscience seared, um, and we talked about how that that's usually done through lust on Wednesday night. They will be led by their own lust to do this. There's always some angle. There's some agenda. There's some reason people do this kind of thing. And it's kind of, they don't just necessarily stumble into it. There's an agenda. You know, if I do this, I'll attract more people. If I do this, it'll open me up to this. Or, or if I do this, it's a whole lot easier than doing that other stuff. Or if I do this, I can just drift for a while. I don't know what it would be, but lust appears in many different ways. And when that happens, they will turn away. Literally, that is not abide any longer. That's our famous passionate term for abiding with the truth. But they will rely on mythos. They will rely on the myths of people. That's amazing. So watch thou in all things. Be discretionary for your own health and safety. Wow, Paul puts that in there, the second batch of three of warnings for Timothy. I think that's something that we all need to be doing in our own life. Um, if, hey, if, if I in life can just do the things that I've done the last day, talking about refilling water and talking about drinking coffee, if I have that kind of of discretion to know what I should do and what I shouldn't do, I think we can do that in, in the spirit realm as well. I, I really do think that we can do. Now, watch thou in all things. This term is a discretionary term. And watch thou is, is kind of a word that they would use medicinally to tell people who, you know, they knew even at that time that sometimes people couldn't tolerate certain things when they eat. Or, um, you know, if they eat this, something bad's going to probably transpire in them digestively. So they would use this term medicinally to say something that perhaps has been said to many of you. Now, you've got to watch out when you don't eat this. You've got to watch out for that. That's thou, watch thou in all things. If you know that this can be dangerous, if you know that this can lead you astray, if you know that this is probably not going to do you any good, watch thou. Watch it. And uh, don't just drink the Kool-Aid. Don't just swallow it down. Don't just say, well, you know, it'll all come out in the end. Well, it's what's going to happen in the end for you that's at, at risk here. So 
this watch thou is kind of a fatherly term that, that Paul's giving to Timothy. Watch. You know, just be careful. You know, you shouldn't be eating this. You know, one of the little kids that is in our network who we love, and I won't say this one's name. I'm not even going to do a gender reveal on this. But this little child early on recognized that uh, there was a digestive problem. There was an allergy. And so after many weeks of challenges, mom and dad figured out through medical advice that this little one couldn't eat certain things. And so in their house, they started to regulate that that wouldn't be served to that child. And do you know, even this child who's growing up now, this little one will say, I can't eat this or, you know, I shouldn't eat that. And you say, well, they could be healed. Well, let me just tell you, they're probably better off not eating the things that they shouldn't eat. So, you know, if I was allergic to donuts, it might have been better for me not to be healed of that allergy. And so, which I'm not, and I'm not going to be allergic to donuts. <laughs> Don't pray for that. Um, but, you know, this little one knows what they shouldn't eat. And they discipline themselves not to eat that. And so I think Paul uses this rather unusual term, watch thou. You know, be careful. I'm warning you about these things, so don't fall into it. Don't do it. Now, counsel for success, these last three. And notice, there's no page two. Hey, you're almost home free here. Um, these three things, endure afflictions, do the work in an evangelist, and make full proof of your ministry. Endure afflictions. Afflictions, kakopatheo. We learned about, we were re reminded today about what kalos means, good in the New Testament. What is the good thing of God? And we used to teach, and we don't keep bringing it up, about the kakos influence, uh, which is kind of the opposite, kind of the opposite of kalos. It is things of the world that um, really lead to destruction. You can eat them, but nothing good's going to happen. In fact, there's a slang term that comes from kakos. You go around the world, uh, th that derivation from that word means something that you don't want to step in. And uh, that's just the way it is. It's not me saying a bad word. It's just, you know, I was funny. I forget which nation I was in, and <laughs> they were talking about that term, and I thought, I know what that means. And I'm not stepping in it either. But kakos is a, a word in the New Testament that means stuff that, you know, you can participate in, but it's only going to lead to something that's nasty and, and uh, you don't really want to have in you. And so it says that when we're walking in all of these positive things, we're going to encounter lots of stuff in the world that is not kalos, but is really kakos. And it is an influence of the demonic. You know, if the enemy can get people not to follow the kalos, the purpose of God, and instead invest themselves into things that are probably demonic, but at the very least not proactive, not good, things that will just generate things that will pass away, um, you know, the enemy's going to try to do the, the latter and keep you from the former. 
But when you're walking in light, when you're walking in the good things of God, you're going to be surprised at how much of the kakos influence is, is around you and how much it tries to dumb you down from being a kalos individual into a kakos individual. Um, you know, Peter wrote, and we, we've taught on this at length. In fact, I think there's a chapter in one of our books about this. Peter warned about that kakos influence that goes against the mnemonicos individual. And there are five dimensions of it in the scripture. So sometimes we need, to, we need to recognize that we need to know how to endure that. We need to know how to walk through it without getting it on us. And we need to know how to keep representing Kalos when the potential, not the probability, but the potential of going off into something that is not going to be good, not going to be godly, uh, is all around us. And it's very difficult when you see people that should be moving in Kalos who are actually purveyors of Kakos. That probably is harder than, to endure than anything else. But Paul uses these terms, and patheo is the way you, your pathos, the way you think, the way you operate, the way you, the way you uh, generalize, the way you assess. And when, when you're dealing with kakos uh, influences, that can negatively affect you to where you're not inspired anymore. You're discouraged. Um, but Paul says, endure that. You know, now, the way what it means to endure is not to give into it, but to overcome it and not be overcome by it. Secondly, do the work of an evangelist. In the midst of that, what is, what is the work of an evangelist? We've studied about that in the New Testament. It's not just, and I'm not coming against this, but it's not just out passing out tracts. It's an evangelist, as you list those fivefold offices and you compare the, the descriptions the Spirit gave, the evangelist does two things besides preparing the way for the apostolic message. Number one, demonstrates function, the dunamis. And number two, inspires remedies that will bring a person or a nation or a city into grace. Do the work of that. And I pray that God would quicken to us when we're enduring Kakos influences, that God would inspire us with how to do the work of the evangelist, how to bring a remedy to that. Where grace is failing, how to bring a remedy to it, a prophetic remedy from the Spirit. And secondly, how to, how to bring function to us and how to restore function where it has been lacking. Do the work of an evangelist. Curious placement there. Timothy was a pastor, so he wasn't just listing the fivefold offices. He was bringing about this, this manifestation of the Spirit that was needed in that moment. Make full proof of your ministry. This is a funny word. Um, you can see it there. You don't have to pronounce it, but you can see it there. Plerophoreo. And it, it means this, to be covered over fully or to carry something out fully, one or both. It's interesting. And what he's really saying here at the end is, 
Timothy, make full proof of your ministry. The ministry that you've been given. When people see you, let them see you fully covered by that. And make them know that you are devoted to accomplishing that. You're not messing around. You're not sampling. You're not uh, doing taste tests with every other thing that's around. Make sure that you are fully covered by that ministry. And make sure that you're going to accomplish it. Now this is Paul writing to Timothy when he knows his days aren't long on the earth. He's wanting to give Timothy the benefit of all the training and all the intercession and all the teaching that, that Paul had given to Timothy. And he's saying, you know what? He needs to know these things. He needs to do these things. These are words for us. These are words for us individually. These are words for us as a church and as a ministry. These are church for us as people that are called to the nations. Um, we are in desperate need of this advice. And I, I know that we're in this moment, in our world, in our nation, where the enemy seems to have released this, all of these factors we see evident in, in, in the atmosphere of the world today. You know, it's not, it would be one thing if it was just known in the church. But it is, it is, this is geopolitical 101. This is happening all over the world. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, things seemed to be erupting in the European Union and in England earlier than they actually hit here. And uh, I got a book on a trip. I don't usually buy books on a trip because i got enough stuff that I'm lugging around. Usually you're carrying 50 pounds of books over there, and you don't really want to buy another big, thick, hardbound to tote around with you. But this one caught my eye, and it was a book called Is God Still an Englishman? And so I started reading this book, and I, I was reading this this individual who was a very knowledgeable British citizen, he was talking about how over the previous hundred years, England had changed in the way they think, in the way they represent themselves. And um, they were using a lot of different, uh, um, in this book, a lot of different surveys that had been done both by Cambridge and Oxford and even by the government and they would ask different demographics of people, do you consider yourself a citizen of England or do you consider yourself this other thing? And 70% of them said, we consider ourselves this other thing. And they ask a lot of questions about, do you believe in this and this and this, which were cardinal identities of England. And so many of them didn't believe that. And they came, they talked about religion and England being an apostolic missionary arm that went out throughout the world. And uh, they were asking people about those identities. And the summation of the book was that England really didn't know who they were anymore. And the things that made England what they were really were there in the ar architecture. They were there in the, you know, the 
the feeling in the country, but intellectually and, and conceptually, they really weren't what they were or what, what had formed them. I think that very much is, um, you know, there's a difference between being perfected and growing and cleansing yourself and abandoning the things that made you prosperous. There's a big difference between those two. We used to say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Today, we're not only throwing the baby and the bathwater out, we're throwing a whole tub out. It's just whoosh, gone. And I think that as a nation and as the nations of the world, people are losing their identity. In some ways, that's a good thing, but generally, it's not a good thing because when identity is lost, usually it means that the stand for Christ is lost. But spiritually, that is rampant. And um, I think that many years ago when God first called us, remember what he did? Not only did he stir our hearts to know him and to seek him, but he started giving us definitions of what in the word had been lost or practices that he said throughout the New Testament or throughout the Old and New Testament that were no longer seen and had not been seen in the modern church. God began to reacquaint us with principles of his heart and principles, how he does things, what he wants. And one by one by one by one by one, he began to awaken them. That's perhaps, along with the intercession and, and praying in diverse tongues, this other thing, because the Spirit, when you're praying, He's going to reveal the Herman Ewa. He's going to bring an interpretation. That's what God says should happen. So those two things are vital for us as saints because as we go into nations, that's what we sow. We pattern sonship. We sow those things. Now, how would the enemy attack that? If the enemy's sitting down there in hell with Joseph Stalin and Karl Marx, how would he attack that? Well, I can tell you, we just did say it. He would say, all right, let him forget what the Spirit has shown him. Let him reject that. And let him then not really have a sense of identity. We will not let that happen. We will not accept that because it goes against what the Father has given us. And um, it really aligns itself, this message aligns itself with that, with that measure of identity and security that's been given to us in the spirit realm. Now, I want to say one more thing, and it's just 20 after 12, so not that I worry about the clock, but you've been, you notice you've been getting out early lately? See, the day of miracles is still around. It's a joke, son. Um, we have really, as a body, we were established in intercession. Saints Network was established in intercession. And bringing people into an acquaintance with what it means to pray in ways that lead you to the throne and really cause you to know 
the things that the Spirit would guide you into and different things in the Word about the seven spirits and what it means to pray in the heavens and pray and touch different corridors of, of the Spirit and backing that up with the Scripture. With that, kind of, I, that kind of pursuit uh, led us into not only a lot of intercessory uh, partnerships with God, which is the main thing, but we came away with the understandings that the Spirit showed from the Word. And so we recognized that we had to be proper stewards of those mysteries, those things that God had revealed. So we tried to pattern uh, what it means for people to intercede, but we also try to teach them what it is when they're doing it. And, and what they should be doing as a result of it. That's always been a duality that is necessary, but sometimes a challenge. What I mean by that is you've got to do those things, but you run the risk of being one of two things. You run the risk of losing the vitality of intercession or becoming brainiacs that can't communicate the message to people. Now, for someone who doesn't understand or hasn't heard something, if they don't want to learn it, they're all going to say, well, that's over my head. I don't know it. I don't want to know it. But I think that what we're going to do tonight, see, I don't think that I have to teach on, and we're going to talk about this tonight. I don't know what Monica's going to say as she starts this class, but I, I don't think I have to teach on what it means to be in the heavens every week to keep you inspired to keep praying. Or, or to talk about what's around the throne or what you do in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony when the Lord invites you there or when you find yourself there. You know, if you, if you just keep focusing on that, then you're not going to focus on the duties and the responsibilities that God gives you there and what you then have a responsibility to do to commune those things. So every now and then you've got to stir yourself and say, hey, you know what? You can talk about getting back to your first love. I don't think we're in that boat, the Laodiceans, who well, the Ephesians that were that way, were that way because they just stopped doing what they were supposed to do. We're still doing, to the best of our ability, what God's given us to do. But every now and then you've got to remind, hey, look, you've got to still be seeking God. Every day I try my very best to have at least one, at least one encounter with God. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if you skip through your day just mumbling tongues every now and then and don't have an encounter with God, I'm not saying God doesn't do something with that, but you've got to at least put yourself in a position where you can commune with Him. And, and I, I don't have somebody that's preaching to me all the time, telling me to do that, or having some fancy application that wheedles you in, or some big prayer guru that I can nestle in under their wing and just ride the wave into wherever they're going. You know, we all have to do that before the Lord. We're sons. We're saints. And uh, tonight we're going to have the privilege of praying uh, in a very powerful way that's been ordered by God. But that should be our regimen every day as individuals. And it seems like I've careened off into another sermon here. I'm really not. What I'm saying is that the power of what we've talked about today is found in our ongoing commune with God. And we must guard over that commune, and we must guard over what 
God reveals to us through that commune. Um, nobody's going to do that for us. We, we've got to endure this walk. Yeah, the world doesn't understand this. A lot of people that are Christians, I bless them, but you start talking this to them, they're going to think, you're nuts. Why don't you come over where we are? We do it dot, 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 and everybody feels great. We have donuts and coffee after. You know, this is great. Come on over here. You may, you may meet the husband of your dreams if you come over here and pray. Um, you know, you can say those kinds of things, but it's up to us to really seek the Lord and represent in this, here's an old phrase, lost and dying world what saints and sons are really supposed to be. So, I speak blessing over all of you. I, I speak blessing over your giftings, over your callings, over who you are in God. And I thank God for you. I thank God for this network that's joining with us uh, right now. Um, we're with you. It's not that you're following us. We're all walking together in this. I'll say one more thing and I'm done. I got a long email from Pastor Falvin yesterday. And he was telling me about, he was giving me a report of all the nations that he has just over the past two weeks been in contact with and what he's wanting to do throughout equatorial Africa and the time frames and the people that he's wanting to meet with. And he, he laid that all out. And he was asking uh, for me to pray for, for my counsel, if there was anything further and whatever he else he needed to do. And, and it just encouraged me and blessed me for him because of the vision God's given him, that million intercessor vision that God gave him and the, the, the nations and, and prayer and fasting network that God gave him. And, you know, I, I just see all of these places that don't need us to just come in and give them some American dollars and, and uh, to speak some kind things to them. But we're sowing in seeds. This world is quickly gravitating toward the time of God's specified end. And the, the night is coming and when no one can really sow anymore. And we've got to sow while the light is here. We've got to be what we're supposed to be and sow it where God leads us. And we will do this. This we will do. But I'm telling you, as we do that, the, the challenge you have is that you can lose that pursuit of the heart of God. We've got to guard over both. And we've got to guard over ourselves. And um, I, I know that this is a, a word on this weekend when we prayed that God would keep us from deception in this season of grace. Uh, I, I think that that's a theme that God's been hitting over this past week. I don't know what he's going to do next week. But let's not ignore these words that the Spirit is obviously giving to us. And I, I just... Again, speak that blessing over all of you. Heavenly Father, I do ask you that you would encourage these precious people who are here and who are joining with us from around the world over this miracle connection and live stream. 
or on the podcast or on the website or what, however they're connecting. And uh, I, I just, I speak, I declare a blessing over all of them. A divine blessing, a strengthening, an encouraging. And, and I, I ask that your spirit would infuse them with a vitality, blow your breath upon the embers, the coals of the fire of your spirit within them, and let it burst into flame for this season uh, of use for your kingdom. I ask you, Lord, that if there are things that are needed in the physical bodies of the people gathered here, that you would release that healing to them now in the name of Jesus. And I ask you, Father, that you would cause all of us to have whatever it is that we need. You promised that if we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that you would add whatever we need. God, you know our needs much better than we do. You promised to add uh, to us what would provide for that. Do it. We lay claim to that, and we, we accept it from you. This is a promise, and we accept that promise. Bless your people, and let us continue wholeheartedly with the work that you've given to us to do. And we thank you for that work. We thank you for that privilege. And we thank you for this needful word that's come from your heart. Let us not be weary in this task. Let us not be weary in our pursuit of the callous, the well-doing. But let us keep pressing forward, holding that hand that gave us this partnership. Thank you for this, Father. And we ask these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, don't miss prayer class and prayer time tonight.